0: Thank you for joining me for the Coal Mind Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas, and it's Memorial Day Weekend 2022. In this episode, I review the concept of originalism in constitutional interpretation, deference to the framers' intent about how the Constitution should work, and specifically, originalism as applied in the context of topics that did not in fact exist or were materially different when the framers were developing that original intent. In particular, I examined a recent Fifth Circuit opinion that applied the Seventh Amendment protection of civil jury trials to an enforcement action by the SEC, even though neither the SEC nor the underlying federal securities laws existed in 1791 when that amendment was enacted. I then examined Justice Alito's draft majority opinion about abortion rights in the Dobbs case, which turned in large part on the substantial number of state laws against abortion at the time the 14th Amendment was enacted in 1868, even though American women did not have the right to own property or vote at that time. I compare the results reached in those cases and question whether originalism really has much to offer when the original setting for a constitutional question is missing key ingredients when compared to today's world. The United States Supreme Court and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, the federal appeals court that covers Texas, are conservative institutions committed to principles of originalism in constitutional cases. In theory, focusing on the framers' original intent about the Constitution leads to good decisions based on objective evidence. The framers either intended something or they did not. Two recent cases draw that assumption into question, however and suggests that today's originalists may have taken that principle into a gray area where it perhaps may no longer offer what the theory behind it intends for it to offer. On May 18, 2022, the Fifth Circuit issued a blockbuster constitutional opinion in Jarksy v. SEC. A 2-1 panel opinion held that the Constitution's Seventh Amendment, which preserves the right to jury trial in its language, in suits at common law, applies to an enforcement action by the Securities and Exchange Commission so long as that action seeks a monetary penalty. That amendment took effect in 1791. Neither the SEC nor the federal securities fraud statutes existed until 1933, 142 years later. The court acknowledged, and I quote, Some actions provided for by the securities statutes may be new and not rooted in any common law corollary. When it went on to conclude, and again I quote, the enforcement action seeking penalties in this case was one for securities fraud, which is nothing new and nothing foreign to article 3 tribunals and juries. In other words, because the case involved a claim for money damages and the concept of suing for fraud was not alien to the courts of the late 18th century, it was sufficiently related to a traditional suit at common law to come within the protection of the 7th Amendment that it extends to civil jury trials. Consider now the other constitutional blockbuster of May 2022, Justice Alito's draft opinion in the Dobbs case about abortion. In the draft, he warned that on occasion, when the court has ignored the appropriate limits imposed by respect for the teachings of history, it has fallen into freewheeling judicial policymaking. Therefore, he continued in the draft, Guided by the history and tradition that map the essential components of our nation's concept of ordered liberty, we must ask what the 14th Amendment means by the term liberty. And in the draft, he emphasized the words 14th Amendment. From that foundation, the opinion exhaustively reviewed state laws about abortion when the 14th Amendment took effect in 1868. After linking that review to a broader historical survey running back to at least one quote from the Middle Ages, the draft concluded that no right to an abortion could be seen as part of the ordered liberty protected by the Constitution as of 1868. This analysis contrasts sharply with what the Fifth Circuit did in Jarksy. Just as the SEC did not exist in 1791, the vast majority of American women could neither own property nor vote in 1868. The Jarksy opinion bridged that historical gap by drawing an analogy between a modern-day SEC enforcement action and a 1791-era claim for money damages. But in the Dobbs draft, Justice Alito was not willing to draw any comparable analogy between the interests protected by Roe v. Wade and the broader protections of individual liberty and autonomy that the Constitution did clearly guarantee in 1868. Put another way, the approach used by the Dobbs draft is hard to square with the approach used by Jarksy. The liberty interests protected by Roe were not recognized in 1868 because a woman's right to participate in politics did not exist, just as the SEC did not exist in 1791. If an analogy works in the SEC context to bridge that kind of historical gap, it should at least be considered in other contexts as a potential way to bridge similar gaps. In some, originalism has a valid role to play in constitutional analysis when there is a solid historical record to consider. Unfortunately, many drafters of the Constitution left long and detailed writings about their opinions. The same is true for later amendments, in particular the critical 14th Amendment. But when history provides no record because it hadn't happened, originalists must guess and extrapolate. And like anyone else, they have a natural bias towards outcomes that they prefer as a policy matter. To truly be effective, originalism must truly be originalism rather than a label that comes out to some other mode of reasoning. Down coal mine, I examined two recent federal court opinions that applied an originalist perspective to constitutional questions, even though the original setting examined by those cases was missing key components when compared to the modern world. Based on that comparison, I questioned how useful the concept of originalism is when applied in settings like that. In upcoming episodes of Coal Mind, I look forward to further analysis of the Supreme Court's anticipated decision in Dobbs, as well as new interviews with capable observers of our society as it emerges from the COVID-19 pandemic. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to join other happy listeners, leave a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I also want to thank my college classmate, Susan Levine, for providing the music used to begin and end each podcast episode. She has a band called The Lied Twos, and if you enjoy these little snippets, you should definitely check out her songs and albums. They have a new album out right now. I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again soon.